G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. I was heading to visit my relatives, and then I was on the freeway. Then I was knocked by a truck from behind, and I drove to oncoming vehicles. In total, five cars knocked me on freeway. So while I was in ICU for three weeks, doctors were not sure for almost three months if I would be alive or dead. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Kia Welday was born in Ethiopia and was sponsored by Australians through Compassion International until she was 18 years old. She eventually moved to Australia, where sadly she was in a horrific car accident in 2019 and was told she had less than a 20% chance of surviving. However, I'm happy to say that she's now on the road to recovery and wants to give God the glory for how he has been working in her life. Kia will share her remarkable story with us today as she has a chat with Eric Scatterbo. Kia Weldy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being with us and you're joining us from the south side of Melbourne, is that right? Yes. Glad to have you with us and let's go back to 1992. What was it like growing up in Ethiopia? Life is really beautiful in uh, growing up in uh, Ethiopia. Um, like I was born in 1992 and uh, grew up in a very uh, multicultural community. So life is very beautiful, even though we grew up in very difficult, hard life situation because life is not easy as people think from outside because there are a lot of people who doesn't have food, don't have clothes, who don't have water, mm-hmm. electricity because... I am from a poor country where there is no a lot of access, even though I am from a middle-class family, but still we don't have a lot of access like the way Australian children has. Yeah, so not a lot of opportunities for education and all that. So yeah, a lot different than people growing up here in Australia. That's true. So you're growing up in a challenging situation, although you said you're middle-class, so you're not the poorest of the poor. You're kind of about average for an Ethiopian? Yes. I was not rich. I was not very poor. So I was in a middle class uh, because my dad was working in an organization. So it was okay for us living there, but it was not that rich family. So life was very hard, very hard because there are people, children, we don't have like food eating, going to school, clothes to wear. So it is very, very challenging. Lack of medication, Healthcare is very poor. The system is very poor. It's not like Australia. Not yeah. a lot of opportunity. What was the biggest challenge you faced at that time growing up? Um, I did get opportunity to go to school, but luckily God really helped me, and then I got a sponsor. God really loves me, so I was sponsored by Australians. I was seven years old, seven or six years old. So I got a sponsor by Australians. There were two couples. They are, uh, both are doctors. 
So they sponsored me. They were sending money every month for food, clothes. On top of that support, they used to celebrate my birthday. They used to send extra money on top of the support they provide every month. They used to give extra money to celebrate my birthday and extra money for my parents as well. So I was the luckiest child in the compassion even because my sponsors were very, very generous. They were doing extra support on top of the monthly support. And what did that mean for you personally? How did that make you feel to know there are people helping you? Very lucky (laughs) because even though my family were able to raise me and my siblings, I'm the fourth child for my parents. So on top of the food, everything I had from my parents, but they were supporting me, but the support I was getting from Australian sponsors was very, very amazing because mm-hmm. I was considered the clothes I was wearing was very nice and my school fee, like they used to pay, buy books, exercise, pay for school, everything because I was considered like a rich child. Oh, wow. Because I was wearing nice clothes, nice shoes, because the sponsors were providing those supports until Mm -hmm. I reached 18 years old. Now, tell us about your sponsors. You had a a couple that were doctors originally. Is that right? Yeah. My previous sponsors were couples. They were doctors, and they supported me. I don't want to mention, but something happened. Like, I mean, they died very sad. I was really sad that time. Uh, And then I got another sponsor again from Australia. Mm -hmm. She is also in healthcare system. She's a dentist. And then from around 12 or 11 years old, she took over after the couples passed away. Mm -hmm. So another Australian took over the sponsors. She was doing the same thing they were doing. Mm extra support for my birthday, for my school fee, for my parents as well, until I reach 18 years old in the dispatch from the compassion. So that extra support really made you feel special. Yeah, because we used to go for holiday as well, like a picnic holiday for two, three days in the compassion. They used to take us for holiday and then visit these nice places Yeah, in the compassion, like, uh, like a museum, animals in the forest. We were getting those extra support. So Mm -hmm. that made us different from the rest of the people in Ethiopia. Okay. And was faith a part of your life? I was from Orthodox, like a Coptic. I was born in Orthodox families. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I came to know Jesus, it was an opportunity if you would like to convert your religion or not. Yeah. How did that come about? There was an, uh, an opportunity given to all of us in the church. Would you like to convert your religion? There was a question. Would you like to convert your religion or would you like to stick to your family's religion or either it is Orthodox, Christian or whatever it is? And then I did not even ask permission from my parents because I felt peace in it. Even though I was young, I was six or seven. I should ask permission from my parents, but I didn't ask. So I said I was willing to convert my religion to know this Jesus because he knew me and he chose me before I even knew him. Mm -hmm. Because 
I was given this opportunity, so maybe God wanted to to use me. So I said I was willing to convert my religion. And then when I told my parents, they were not against that decision. Mm-hmm. So they did not stop me from converting my religion. So I came to know Jesus at six or seven years old. And I grew up in the church learning Bibles, Bible study from that age, studying in the, to become choir, participate in the church life. Okay, so through the Ministry of Compassion International, yeah. you were given an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Savior? Yes. And what difference did Jesus make in your life at that time? That time I was young. I was young, but um, I didn't realize that things, but like I didn't see any much difference because I was very young. I didn't know what is bad in that, in the other religion or good in this religion. But I was happy learning Bible, knowing Jesus, singing the choir. But I was very, very well behaved growing up in the church, in the church environment by itself made me to become a bit different from the rest of my friends from neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I was well behaved. And then what happened next in your life? And then I uh, migrated to Kenya. Now, why did you go to Kenya? Because of the political problem we were facing in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. We faced a lot of uh, political issue from the Ethiopian government. All my life, I saw my friend being killed in front of me in high school. I myself beaten up and uh, faced a lot of problems from the government because of our community. I am from the Oromo. Oromo is the largest community in Ethiopia. So we faced a lot of problems and then I fled to Kenya with my cousins. Oh, so you were a refugee? I was a refugee in Kenya. And how did that go? Life as a refugee, it was very challenging. Very challenging because it's not easy being a refugee, leaving your family back home. Even though, like, I saw my friend being shot dead in front of me in the school. Oh, wow. It was very tough. And then missing a family. But the good thing, I had relatives with me in Mm. Kenya. I was very lucky. I had a good English background from back home in Ethiopia as well. So I got a chance to become an interpreter for refugees, uh, an interpreter and working for the United Nations for almost uh, three years. And then I got a chance from Australian government, the sponsorship, very lucky again. And then Mm -hmm. five family, my relatives, we got sponsored by Australian government and came to Melbourne as a refugee. Oh, and what year was that? 2015. Oh, okay. So your life is really changing a lot from Ethiopia to Kenya. And then, as you just mentioned, you were blessed to move to Melbourne, Australia, where you are today. How did that go? Did you adjust to Australian life? Was that hard? Um, It was pretty hard, but for me, it's less hard than other refugees because I was working with United Nations and was working with white people. So adjusting life with the community was easy for me than other refugees like me. So, mm-hmm. and I was able to speak English on, on top of that. Communication was not difficult for me, mm-hmm. but we faced cultural shock. Yeah. What was the hardest part? 
Oh, because especially when we moved first initially, so when we came here, like for me, like greeting people on the street, you greeting your neighbors is something that I grew up and lived in it. Even yes. in Kenya, is the same. But here, when you talk to your neighbors, we were being ignored. So that was the biggest challenge we faced in 2015. Very mm-hmm. difficult because people were looking at us like, why is she talking to me? Who is she? Does she know me? And the strangers being uh, like different skin tone, different skin color by itself makes you, you are unique, mm-hmm. different than other people. So that was the biggest challenge. Later on, we started going to school and then adapting to the life. Yeah, let me just share that when my wife came to the United States from the island of St. Lucia, it was her yeah. custom on the island is you greet everybody. You walk into a room, like a waiting room at the doctor's office, you greet everyone. And then all these yeah. people are looking at her like, why are you talking to us? <laughs> <laughs> Same Can you relate to like, that? Yes, that's true. But for us, like you greet people, it is like you say, hey, good morning to your neighbors. Right, right. It's just because, customary. Yeah, it is customary. Yeah. Whereas basically in Australia, more or less, you greet people who you know, yeah. Not people who you don't know. Yeah. In, in general, generally speaking. <laughs> yes. So that was uh, one of the differences that you had to adjust to. And then did you continue your education? Yes. I started a course for newcomers. You have to do English test mm-hmm. to know your level, if you are capable to join uni or not. And then so I did the test. And then when I did that test, my English level was okay. And then I went to Holmes Clan to study bridging course mm-hmm. in order for me to go to university because since I came as a refugee, I didn't have any document mm-hmm. showed that I have gone to school. So I had to go to that Holmes Clan to do bridging course. Then once I finished that, I did course to become an age care, like personal carer. Mm-hmm. So once I finished that, I got a job where I did my placement. Mm-hmm. And then when I started working there, the manager suggested to study nursing. She mm-hmm. saw after the performance review, mm-hmm. after a few months of performance review, she suggested that I can become a good nurse if I study nursing. Mm-hmm. And then again, I sit for another test to proceed nursing. You're listening to The Story. Today, Kia Welde from Ethiopia has been sharing with us about her long journey to becoming a nurse in Australia. Unfortunately, the next chapter in her life takes a stunning turn as she was in a horrific car accident in 2019. We'll hear how God has been working in her life through it all when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is Kia Welde from Ethiopia, who's sharing with us her life journey. 
Before the break, we heard how she came to Australia in 2015 after being a refugee in Kenya, and that her life seemed to be looking up as she trained to be a nurse. However, as we're about to hear, her life took a drastic turn for the worse in 2019. She's chatting with Eric Scatterbo. So it was all happening for you? Yes, I was very lucky and God was helping me as well in everything. And then I started to become an enrolled nurse, finished my nursing in 2018, graduated. Wow, so you were successful. But unfortunately, in 2019 is when you had your car accident. Yeah. What happened? Oh, that was a very terrific accident. I was knocked by truck. So I had a collision on freeway. I was heading to see my cousins. I was living alone by myself at that time. I had moved out because I wanted to be close to my workplace. So I was heading to visit my relatives because my relatives lives in the west side. Before that time, I was living in the east suburb. And then I was on the freeway. Then I was knocked by truck from behind. Mm-hmm. And my car spin on the freeway oh, when wow. I was not yeah. from behind. And I drove to oncoming vehicles on Monash Freeway. Oh, wow. And then four cars knocked me. In total, five cars knocked me on freeway. Wow. So I survived from acute traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. So I had less than 20% chance to survive. So while I was in ICU for three weeks, even I came out of PTA, post-traumatic amnesia, all those stuff, the doctors were not sure for almost three months if I would be alive or dead. Wow. Even though if I was alive, I would be quadriplegic. A quadriplegic? Yes. Mm -hmm. They were saying, luckily, my God did a miracle. And then I was in Alfred, like three months later, I became conscious. I mm-hmm. was unconscious for three months. Oh, wow. And then when I became conscious, I thought I was in Africa. Oh, wow. Because I was in a PTA. Like PTA is post-traumatic amnesia. Mm-hmm. And then I was saying I have a very funny story. I thought the nurses that I was seeing in the hospital were my colleagues. Oh, because I was working in the United Nations with white people. Mm-hmm. So I thought they were my colleagues and everyone is wearing uniform apart from me. Huh. Then I asked the people who were around me and I said, why am I not wearing uniform like my colleagues? And they <laughs> said, Kia, you are not in Kenya, you are in Australia. So that's when I was told, because I forgot everything life in Australia when I woke up from coma. Wow. You didn't even know what country you were in. Yes, I didn't even know when I woke up from coma. That's when my relatives told me, you are in a country called Australia, you came in 2015, blah, 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 everything. I said, wow. Wow. So what did you think when you found out you were in Australia? I was like, not knowing what to, like, I don't even know. There was a brace on top of my head. Mm-hmm. Like I was wearing a head brace from my waist, mm-hmm. all my spine was on the breast. And then I thought that breast is like a crown. Mm-hmm. So while I was in PTA, they said what I heard from my relatives. I used to wave to everyone like a queen. 
I thought I was a queen. <laughs> and the nurses from Alfred, they decorated my head brace like a crown. And when I saw myself, they took me to in front of mirror. And then when I saw myself, I thought I was a queen. I thought it's, it's a crown and waving to people. Since then, I do remember. Mm-hmm. I called the doctor and I said, uh, could you please remove this crown? It is too heavy, I told him. I didn't know I had a spine fracture. And then they said, unfortunately, Kia, this crown will stay for three months again. They said, what? Mm. So I had to wear the, the brace from my waist. All my spine had to fuse for three months. Wow. So you go from not even knowing what country you're in to all of a sudden thinking yeah. you're royalty to yes. finding out you have to wear this quote-unquote crown for three months yeah. because it's actually a yes. brace to correct your spine, to help it to heal. Yes. Wow. You're going through a lot of things at this time. It is. Until now, even though I got discharged because I was admitted in hospital for nine months, and in total, I got discharged in 2020, mm-hmm. February. And then COVID started a few months after mm-hmm. I came out of hospital. Oh, wow. Again in lockdown. Yeah. I still have doctors coming home mm-hmm. and carers coming home on daily basis. But I'm doing amazing. God has a purpose for my life. So my recovery journey is very, very good mm-hmm. because I had seen God's hand in my life, on my body. So how are you doing now? Are you able to walk? I am able to walk from bed ridden mm-hmm. to frame. I was using a third frame. While mm-hmm. I was. A walking frame? Yeah, before I was in a bed and then wheelchair, mm-hmm. from wheelchair walking frame and then walking with some people around me. Now I am walking alone on my own independently. Fantastic. Well, I mean, the Lord has just been working in your life, helping you to recover. How has he been working in your life spiritually? Really, because I grew up in a choir in the church, mm-hmm. learning Bible, everything, but my faith is very strong. Mm-hmm. And seeing God's hand on my body more than before made my faith more stronger. I am a living testimony. I am the female Eliezer. I always tell people I am the female Eliezer because Jesus raised Eliezer. Oh, on Lazarus. The Lazarus. Yes. He came to Mary and Mary's sister, Martha. Jesus said, oh, Eliezer, he raised him on the fourth day from death. So similarly, my life is related to him because I had seen God's hand on my body. Mm-hmm. So the doctors, everyone is whenever they come from time to time, I am, they get surprised because I am staying alone most of the time. Carers do come only to help with some things that I can't do it on myself mm-hmm. because God has done amazing job. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. So you're still on the road to recovery, but obviously, as you're saying, you're making tremendous progress and uh, you should be referred to as the female Lazarus because you rose up. Yes. (laughs) I always share, when I say people, oh, what I say? Yeah, I'm the female Lazarus. (laughs) Wow, fantastic. Let's end with your favorite Bible verse. Yeah, my favorite Bible verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm Mm-hmm. So it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, 
you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and future. Amen. That is my verse all the time. Because God brought these things to prosper my life, to be a testimony for others. Because through Jesus Christ, there is a hope. There is a hope all the time. Amen. Well, we pray that you continue to heal and you continue to share how the Lord has been working in your life. Kia Welday, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest today has been Kia Welde, who we should refer to as the female Lazarus because the Lord has raised her up after it looked like she was not going to survive from that horrific car accident. But as we heard today, she's on the road to recovery. If you want to find out more about Kia, you can go to her Facebook page. You can look her up on Facebook. Go to Kia Welde. Kia is spelled K-I-Y-A. Welde is W-O-L-D-E. Just look her up on Facebook, Kia Welde. And she says she's in the process of writing a book about her experiences. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Kia Welday about her amazing life journey from Ethiopia to Australia and then barely surviving a horrific car accident that left her in a coma for three months. As we heard, she didn't even know what country she was in when she came out of that coma. But we also heard how she remarkably survived and how God has been helping her recover. Well, thanks for joining us for Keel's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I don't know why, exactly how it started, but we started to pray for people who couldn't have children. We didn't think that uh, our experience necessarily proved it was going to work. <laughs> but um, anyway, we prayed. Over the next uh, probably six years, there were 18 different couples who were in similar situations. We prayed with them. They immediately got pregnant. Malcolm and Suzanne White have been married for over 50 years and have a passion for helping other couples. So, what does it take to have a love that lasts a lifetime? We'll find out what worked for Malcolm and Suzanne as they share their story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 